Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dr. Carol Francis Talk Radio Show. Let's make life happen together with authors, scientists, researchers, both inside the box and outside the box of understanding so that you can live a life full of your success, curiosity, enjoyment, happiness, and richness of life in every respect. Let's go beyond our limits and let's help others go beyond their limits as well. Welcome. Now, just imagine that that limit happens to be death, which is a limit that every one of us faces. But is that actually a limit? Uh, some people would say, no, absolutely not. It's actually a progression and evolution. Others would say, absolutely, yes. It is the finale toward which all of us are progressing, whether we want to or not. <laughs> so to live beyond that limit, do we even have an option well, in order to discuss that, John Clark traveled around and interviewed so many people about what they believed would happen after death. In his book, Destination Unknown, he captured four, 42, including his own opinion, and 43, including Susan Mann, who wrote the introduction, about what happens to us. What do we believe? What's our take on what happens after we die? And I am so looking forward to him being able to call in. I think he's having a bit difficult doing it. And the call-in number for you guests, including John Clark, is 626-414-3510. Come and go ahead and call in and pipe in on what you believe is after death. What is the destination of unknown? So while John Clark is working out whatever's going on with his computer or phone or maybe his location because he is traveling wonderfully in his car, taking an opportunity to do a journey all the way from where he originated to California, or at least that's part of his, his goal. And he is definitely a journeyman. He is an adventurer that tries to take in as many experiences as he can, talk to as many people as he can, coming from a journalist background uh, where he has interviewed people for newsworthy stories. What's more newsworthy than considering what's going to happen after you die? So I was going to discuss with John Clark at the very beginning of the show and open it up for discussion for each of you that when I was given the opportunity to read his book, The Nation Unknown, which, by the way, is available on Amazon.com and is linked on the uh, page of, of this program, but Destination Unknown by, Destination Unknown by John Clark, I realized that before I opened the book that a part of me did not want to be influenced by anybody's thoughts as if I wanted to hold on to my own point of view, because that's the point of view I very much wanted to embrace. But here we are needing to really consider that there are other points of view to embrace on this whole issue of what's after death. And John Clark, I think we've got you. John Clark, is that you? Yes, ma'am, you have me. I am so glad to have you on the program. I just introduced the program. I don't know if you were able to hear any of that introduction. Uh, just a little bit. Okay, good. Well, you you are you're journeying right now across the United States, but you took this journey interviewing people about what their conceptions were about life after death, if any at all. And a few of those people I actually know. I know Heather Rivera personally, I know Susan Manrit personally, and we're about to get to know you as well. But forty three opinions about what happens life after death, and that it's it's kind of a brave. Thing to step into asking people, one, it's 
sensitive, and two, it's kind of a frightening topic. What compelled you to ask this question of people? Well, it all started uh, several years ago when I wrote my first book, which was called Finding God. And I just had a lot of questions about God myself, and so I set out to um, find out what other people thought. And I decided one summer to drive all around Texas just to random locations, and whenever I saw um, what I call a likely suspect, someone that my (laughs) gut told me to go talk to them, I would just go up to them and talk to them and tell them what I was doing, and uh, nearly everyone agreed to talk to me. I was only turned down a few times, and I used every interview I got in the book, and it just turned out really amazing. Well, I know in your introduction to the book on Amazon, you say you talked to Buddhists, atheists, Christians, um, school teachers, old, young, IT professionals, military personnel, just a whole tapestry of individuals to discuss. And, um, you know, John, when I started to open your book, a part of me said, I'm not so sure I want to totally read this because I want to hold Mm -hmm. on to my own conception of what is going to happen after I die. And I realized how much I have embraced my thoughts on this topic almost rigidly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so that yeah. Would I, would I even be open to hearing other people's points of view or would I become almost kind of militarily, uh, you know, the definite on this topic? So it was wonderful to be able to step into the stream of other people's thoughts and kind of open up the discussion again because we really don't know. So what did you feel like as you heard their answers? Did you shift yourself or become more convinced of your own perspective? Well, I knew you were going to ask me that question. And, <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I think what I became more convinced of is I became more convinced that I don't know what I think. I just, I just don't know what happens. Mm-hmm. And so then how do you embrace life or, or live life or deal with a, uh, ramifications of that not knowing yeah it's i guess my philosophy that i've come to so far is just to try as one person in the book said to try to live the type of life where you don't have any regrets when you get to the end Mm. of it Mm. and then who knows what happens after that Mm. Mm. okay so you have these 43 people, yourself included, Susan Mann included as well, in this mm-hmm. in this book. Who would you like to share the story with first? What's the first individual that just left quite an impression on you, whether you agreed with their point of view or not? Oh, okay. Um, one of the one of the more amazing stories was. Uh, was by a person I think you've had on your show, uh, Heather Rivera. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And she has gone back to previous lives that she's lived and experienced those lives again, which was really amazing. Yes. She she talked about how she was a knight in another life and all these, these other all these other things, and so she has no fear of death, she says, because uh, 
she knows that 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 life goes on after death. You just go on to mm-hmm. another life. Mm-hmm. And so, how did that impact you? Um, I tend to think that uh, that a reincarnation is possible. It kind of seems far fetched to me in a way. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I kind of I'm open to pretty much anything. Mm. I, I, you know, I believe anything mm. is possible. Anything is possible. I think. I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe I need to. Maybe I need to um, make a decision. You know, and and grasp onto some definite concept. But I haven't done that yet. Mm. It doesn't sound like you feel like you need to. Well, I just don't know what to believe. I, I know yeah. I don't believe I don't believe in the teachings of my childhood, going to you know church and Sunday school. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's why that's why I, I have to go out and ask other people. <laughs> I know it's an interesting quest that you go on. So, Doctor yeah. Heather Rivera, yeah, I've read her books, I've read her research. And interviewed her. She's actually a personal friend of mine. So it was so funny to see her in the chapter forty. Um, yeah. She had yeah. She actually did research on people when they did past life regressions. That one of the key aspects that after three to five or three to eight uh, past life regression experiences, these people would have very definite changes in their life for the better. Their health would spontaneously get better their uh, relationships would get better, their anxieties would be reduced, their uh, mm-hmm. depressions would be reduced. And I thought the clinical research, the statistical empirical research she did on the impact of having those past life regressions was very significant and possibly related to the very core of your book, which is do we need to be afraid that we're going to die? If that, you know, How much of that governs? anxiety and depression and feeling bad and feeling confused. What are your thoughts oh, yeah, on that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I've thought about, you know, since after writing this book, I've thought about uh, doing the, trying to do the past life regression thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's some facilities close to where I live, and, and I've considered that. It's a little scary to think about, but it might be interesting. Oh, it's fun. <laughs> sure. It's Have you fun. done that? Yeah. Oh yeah, I do it with people as well. It's fun. It's curious. It's is it definitive? I guess you sound very open to any possibility. Yeah, one of my one of my favorite uh, interviews in the book was Chapter Nine, Susie Ortiz, and uh, the way the story started out was one of my favorites. It says. Raised in northern Alabama by a Bible-thumping mother and an agnostic father, Susie Ortiz grew up attending services at the local Church of Christ and being afraid her daddy was going to hell. Uh-huh. Poor little girl, <laughs> you know. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. But she goes on to say that she hopes, she says, a part of me hoped that it just ends. I think eternal life would be rather wearisome. Mm. I said, you kidding? And she said, no, I'm serious. I don't think I want there to be more after this. Mm. I thought that was interesting. 
Do you think that uh, statements, could you tell it? These are just people you just met on the street. You didn't know them from Eve or Adam. Is that true? Um, most of them. A lot of them I got, you know, I would tell people what I was doing and uh, they would say, oh, I know somebody you could interview that, you know, and they would refer me and I found some mm. people from social media. And My first book, though, when I traveled around Texas, which is totally at random, I would just walk up to people. And not so much this book then? Uh, this book, a lot of it, some of it was in person, person-to-person, face-to-face interviews. Some of it was on the phone. Some of it was mm-hmm. email. Some of it was Skyping. Mm-hmm. Those are a variety of things. Of course, I couldn't travel mm-hmm. around the world to interview people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it is right. interesting. When I read the when I read Susan, Susie Ortiz, a chapter, the, uh, and she talked about life, it would be rather wearisome. My reaction was, I wonder if that just seriously reflects how very difficult this current life has been for her. And mm-hmm. therefore, to anticipate any more of it is just kind of overwhelming. And to what degree do we create our perceptions of life after death based on whatever experience we're having currently? But it's more of right. an objective per- projection than anything else. Yeah, huh? yeah. Yeah, one girl said she, uh, Vanessa Vanessa Rivera said she doesn't quite know what she believes, but she hopes there's something better than this because yeah. she has had a pretty rough life. Hmm. So... So there were there were plenty of people here that also said, "Oh, I absolutely know there's something going on after life ends at death." Which ones yeah. of those would you pick out? Which one? Which interviews were intriguing and uh, almost persuasive to you? Well, the thing about those the thing about those types of interviews that struck me was the sincerity of the people who know what they believe who are confident in what they believe. And, you know, you kind of admire that. Mm -hmm. And it's just amazing when you're sitting there and and you're asking people these questions and they're they're sort of just pouring their heart out, you know, with what, like you said, with this um, Mm -hmm. really personal and private type information. Mm -hmm. And it's just really humbling when they're, you're looking them in the eye and they're just telling you all these things from their heart. It's really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're more touched by the, uh, by the sincerity, the realness of individuals when they get down to this very real topic. Yeah. Yeah. It's like in the, in the book, finding God, I, I thought it was going to be people talking to me about, yes, I believe in God or no, I don't believe in God and this and that. But, Almost right away, one of the first people I interviewed, what this woman says, uh, I was just driving down the highway and I saw to my left, I saw uh, a guy on a riding lawnmower cutting this big lawn out in front of this church. And so I said, well, let me pull in here. So I pull in there and a woman who turned out to be his wife was sitting on the porch. So I started talking to her and told her what I was doing. And she says, well, I was mad at God for a long time. And I said, well, why is that? And she said, 
Well, it was after my son died. Hmm. And so in my mind, you know, I kind of go, bingo, you know, this is going to hmm. be good. I said, can you <laughs> tell me about that? And she said, well, yeah, he, he shot himself in the head over a girl. Hmm. And I blame God. I blame God for a long time over that. And that hmm. just, all the stories, you know, weren't that tragic, but they were all just these really kind of gut-wrenching stories about things that happened in people's lives that led to what they believe. Mm-hmm. And I just, the book just kind of evolved, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I kind of knew that was going to happen with Destination Unknown also. Mm-hmm. And it, it was it was the same way. Mm-hmm. You must be a very good listener to people. They trust you. For some reason, that's true. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, back when I was a newspaper reporter, I, I'll never forget I was standing in the newsroom late one night, and I don't know what the conversation was, but my managing editor says, you know, I don't know how you get people to tell you the things they tell you. Hmm. And, I, uh, you know, I don't know what it is. I think it's just a matter of, like you said, being a good listener. And you've got to listen to what the people are saying. You can't be mm-hmm. thinking about what you're going to ask them next. Mm-hmm. Or, or how are you going to make something. them see your way. Yeah. Yeah, because you're going to miss something. Mm-hmm. And it could just be one little thing they say mm-hmm. that they don't even know that realize that they said that you can pick up on and and it takes things off in a completely different direction. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So when, when, let's take Jean-Francois Fijol. I don't know if I butchered that name or not, but (laughs) I'm afraid of being afraid of the great departure, you quote, to be brave and to go to a totally unknown place. What was it like interviewing him? Now, that one, I never actually spoke to him. That one was all done by email. Oh, interesting. But, yeah, he just, I would, that one, for instance, the way that one happened, I I sent him a list of questions, and he just answered all the questions. Wow. And then I put it all together. Mm Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I thought that was really cool. I'm afraid of being afraid of the great departure. I'll have to be brave. I thought that was really so. In, so, in compiling his his information, what did you learn about Jean, and 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 how did you experience death as you stepped into behind his his eyes, by inside of his soul? Mm-hmm. He he's sort of traditional in a heaven and hell kind of thing, but he's also been sort of. Uh, sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Some people refer to themselves as a a recovering Catholic. (laughs) Yeah. I think think, uh, some of the teachings that he grew up with kind of, um, you know, he no longer believes in that way exactly. Like he says, I don't believe in heaven and hell the way they are commonly described. Heaven and hell are inventions by the humans. Mm-hmm. Heaven and hell happen here on earth. Short moments of happiness, quick or long times of despair, suffering, misunderstanding, awkwardness, pain, etc. 
I believe that after death there's a kind of peaceful atmosphere, and when we're there, we won't even care about heaven and hell. Mm. But he anticipates peace. Pardon? He anticipates peacefulness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Were there any individuals that... A lot of people were, were, well, maybe not a lot of people, but some other people were um, not exactly afraid of death. They didn't really know what's going to happen next, but they're afraid of the actual dying, that it would Mm -hmm. be painful or something like that. But other than that, Mm -hmm. they said, you've got to do it, so why be afraid of it? Mm Mm-hmm. Were any of these people actually terrified of it? And did anybody just refuse to discuss it because it was such a scary thing to contemplate? No, none of the people I really talked to. That's more. That's more me. I think. I think oh. you just described oh, my, really? my view of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just. It's just really a. You know, like I say, it's. Uh, life is kind of a sad story in a way because. It always ends the same. Mm-hmm. There's not a happy ending to it. I don't know if that's well, a bad know, way to look at it or not. Well, you know, especially if death is seen as a, you know, a possible awful consequence. For some of these people, right. it's not. And for some of them, it's neutral. And for others of them, it's it's a puzzle. They don't want to move their life. Others are inspired to be better people because they know they only have a certain amount of time. Was anybody, yeah. did, did anybody look at death and say, yes, oh yeah, death is going to come, so I'm going to live my life to the fullest, and, and if that means I'm going to live it recklessly, so be it. I, whatever, I, whatever I want to do, this is my time. Don't get in my way. Uh, anybody approach yeah, that life? Was, that was kind of... Uh... Missy Walters in Chapter 1 was kind of like that. She's kind mm-hmm. of a, I got the impression she was kind of a free-spirited person, and she's very into nature, and mm-hmm. she thinks, she says, I just believe people should try to live with no regrets so that dying isn't an awful thing. Mm-hmm. And she thinks when guess- you, uh, oh, she says, I, I think there is such a thing as a soul but my idea of a soul is that when it lives on, it sort of disperses. I don't think my own consciousness mm-hmm. of myself lives on, but in some capacity, my soul lives on. Mm-hmm. And she says, what I mean is, I think during your life, you're dispersing your soul as you go along, pouring it into people and places and ideas that become so much a part of you that you remain in them after you are gone. Mm-hmm. It's pretty interesting. Wow, yeah, she definitely believes in her uh, ability to impact others. Mm-hmm. And that that continues. So our 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 life continues in the thoughts and remembrances of those that haven't died yet? Yeah, yeah. I guess it's mm-hmm. like the old, a lot of, the way a lot of people say that you, uh, you live on in the hearts of your loved ones and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As I was thinking about this interview this week, I, I was looking at a caterpillar coming, you know, out of the, the, the spring weather, and 
watching it, wondering if it was afraid to go into the poopa, because uh, not knowing what was, how, I mean, <laughs> what did they feel as they were weaving their own tomb, so to speak, because they were not going to be the same after they encapsulated themselves. Uh, d- oh. Did they have any sense of fear or hesitation? I mean, they are alive, and there's a certain amount of consciousness there. So, you know, same with us. Do we do we uh, walk into death, and are we leaving our end, and and or, or do we come out the other end as a butterfly? But right, how do we how do we approach that that tomb that we build for ourselves? Certainly, the Egyptian pharaohs had plenty of reactions to it all. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, in my in my first book, Finding God, a fr- I interviewed a friend of mine named Jim McBrayer, and he said, uh, he said that human beings are the only animals that sit around scratching their butts and saying, why am I here? He was being humorous, of course. <laughs> But you know, other other animals other animals just live their lives, and we sit around mm-hmm. wondering what it's all about. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that other animals just live. But um, you know, in this whole controversy about the way animals, chickens and cows, are farmed and killed. The uh, there, John Stewart interviewed an individual that was trying to say, no, these these cows are terrified when they know that their death is about to approach. And it's ludicrous to think that they're not conscious that this is a torturous way mm-hmm. and that they do not want to be treated this way. So while I haven't witnessed that, I can certainly imagine that, that maybe, maybe yeah, yeah. they also. Any thoughts? Do you, do you agree with that? I that, see, very good reporter there. Um, I think animals are conscious of their death. I do. Uh huh. What do you What do you think? I don't know, but if they are, then that must be pretty pretty horrible. Huh. So you're into no, me all go ahead. Go ahead. I don't know. I've never really thought about it a lot, but. I don't really think so. Maybe they are. Hmm. So John Clark is the author of Destination Unknown. And John, while I'm speaking to you, you have a very contemplative way of thinking about questions, and then you you uh, refrain from coming to any definite opinion. It's it's like you're exploring, leaving judgment. Of the unknown aside, not not trying to create any definite point of view. Is that your style in life? Oh, good question. Wow. <laughs> I do uh about the only philosophy I probably have is uh smooth sailing. Hmm. Just smooth sailing. Uh, I don't know. Hmm. So keep it in kind sure of how, even. Yeah, I like I like things to go on an even keel. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And so when the storms hit, what do you do? Huh. When the storms hit, uh, I kind of tend to panic sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My first reaction is to panic, I guess. But uh, I don't know. My mother told me one time when uh, I had a, a little crisis going, and she said, don't borrow trouble, son. Mm. And I'm pretty good at borrowing trouble. You know, what if mm. and imagining the worst and just one of the many things I'm working on trying to improve mm. myself. Mm. So were there individuals like yourself who could feel the anxieties of life and decided that and decided kind of deliberately, you know, I don't want to be anxious about death, so I'm going to believe this. This is what I'm going to believe. Thank you very much. That's going to make me feel better. Okay, end of end of end of contemplation. <laughs> Anybody approach it that way? I don't think so. I think you know some people. Most people were uh, pretty set in their beliefs. Some people, just a few, were not really sure about what's mm-hmm. what's going to happen. I really liked uh, when I interviewed an old childhood friend, a guy I used to ball football with a long time ago, because I knew he would put some humor into his. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a sarcastic, funny guy. His name is Brett Sailors, Chapter 12. Okay. And uh, he said, let me find it. He doesn't really believe in any kind of afterlife or anything like that. And he said, but he also said, I do think about my own dying and am not one bit afraid. Once you die, Mm. all of the necessities and struggles of life are satisfied. Mm. But then, uh, oh, here it is. He said, he believes that when we die, we die. And then it's time for the family to argue over the will. (laughs) (laughs) and then he said when I think of God I think of an all powerful being apparently responsible for the favorable outcome of of many major sporting events as he is thanked often for those achievements yet he is never blamed by the loser (laughs) he said just once I would like to hear someone say we were doing great until Jesus made me fumble on that third down run in the second half. <laughs> he said, I mean, I had that blankety-blank thing tucked away, and suddenly, bam, it's popping out of my hands. Jesus has always hated our team. <laughs> Brett Sailors is a character. I can see that. Oh, boy. I know that in the, in your introduction you have it, 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 Brett Saylor saying, if you're asking if I believe we turn into spirits of some sort and lurk around our old homes and friends, the answer is no, I don't. Yeah, Brett yeah. the type of guy. I think I'd want him to lurk around my home. He'd be pretty funny as a ghost. <laughs> oh, and we can't forget to give credit to Susan Mann for her wonderful foreword in the book, too. 
Yes, go ahead and do that. What did you think about what she said? Um, I thought it was just wonderful. She's she puts a she's a seeker for sure. Yes. She's done a lot of exploration, and uh, it's ongoing. You can tell. Mhm. I was really uh, mm-hmm. grateful grateful that she she uh, gave me that. And, let me put it in the book. Mm. Um, so you have done the Camino walk yourself as well, is that correct? That's right. Uh, I did the Camino the first time in 2011 in the summer, and uh, I kept a, a journal and a blog on it uh, every day, just about every day. And I wrote a book on that too. It's called uh, Camino, Laughter and Tears along Spain's 500-mile Camino de Santiago. Hmm. And then I went back you, two years later and walked it again. Yeah? Wow. Yeah. But was it a totally different experience the second time? It was. The first one was just the experience of, a, absolutely the experience of a lifetime. I uh, I had never been, pretty much never been anywhere you know, I'm kind of a homebody. I was always a homebody type. So I, mm-hmm. one of the reasons I wanted to do it was to challenge myself. And so I just went for it. And I, just about as soon as I got to Pamplona, I checked into a hotel and almost immediately wanted to come back home. I was just scared wow. to death. All wow. I, could, I have a very vivid imagination, and all I could imagine I could see like the globe, sort of the earth in my mind and see the 5,000 miles across the ocean, how far I was from my house. Wow. <laughs> and, I, and I was just terrified. I didn't sleep mm. for two days. Wow. But I got over it. I got over it and it was fantastic. It was wonderful. Mm. But then the second time I kind of, you know, it's the old thing about you can't go home again. And I right. kind of imagined it was going to be the same wonderful as the first one. Yeah. And it was it was still great, but it was different. Mm-hmm. And so it was sort of a letdown in a way because I had built it up so much in my mind before. Mm. Do you think that it was different largely due to the fact that you were a different man coming back? Now, that could be. I hadn't thought about that. You were- you know, you were experienced, you were confident, you you knew you would survive. The 5,000 miles away from home didn't seem so formidable. Um, right. You could remember the past, and therefore it wasn't like a, a new and unsafe or dangerous experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hadn't thought I wonder, about that. I was, I'm sure I was different. I wonder if that's what Heather Rivera, Dr. Heather Rivera chapter on, since she's done past life regression work, she has this experience to her very vivid that she's lived other lives and they had tragedies and they had benefits and then she died and she comes back Mm -hmm. to another life and that has tragedy and benefits too and she dies and so therefore the repeating of the the Camino of life, so to speak, doesn't seem all that formidable because it's all in the context of an ebb and a flow, a, a movement around, an opportunity yeah. to learn. It would be yeah. different if you 
that life would be different knowing, oh, I've done this before, and I'll do it again. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I may have to do that past life regression thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're, you should write a chapter, a book on it, yep. Yeah. Yours and others. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I know that Heather yeah. Rivera has done that and has a wonderful collection. Well, ah. tell us a little bit about Koi Hachitukmi. <laughs> oh, he was so interesting. Yeah? Yeah. Somebody referred me to him. He's over in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. That guy was very interesting. How so? Uh, because to a lot of people, the things he talked about would be so far-fetched. But he absolutely believes it, and I believe him. Wow. You know, he, well, what did he say? Uh, oh, he's a psychic medium, and uh, he's sort of a, a go-between between people and their dead family members and such. Yes. He can communicate with the dead, and he's sort of an... Uh, what would you call it? An intermediary, is that a word? Yeah, between, uh, yeah, medium. Mm-hmm. Between them and he relays messages, and it was just incredible. Wow. He says he's. Uh, he... he used to see. He used to play with little, little spirit friends under the house when he was a kid. Mm. And he he's just always been able to see people. He's always been able to see mm. spirits and talk to them. Mm. He wasn't alone either. Relative, were there some relatives that he had that understood uh, what he was yeah, saying and I, helped? Him? His, uh, I think, one of his housekeepers when he was a kid told mm-hmm. him. Oh, he said she took she took me aside and said, "Look, I know that you see your little friend Billy, <laughs> and everybody says that's just a thing that kids do." But I know because I'm like you. I can see things too. Mm. She told me what you're seeing is people that have come from Jesus, and that's okay. Don't worry mm. about it. And if you don't want to tell anybody, you don't have to tell anybody. Mm. So he said he didn't tell anybody for a long time. Mm. So what is but then so the, what proof of of uh, life going beyond death? Uh, just the fact that he communicates with spirits, he knows that. But he also believes that's what that's what made his story so interesting. Because he also believes he also believes in the traditional definition of God and things like that. I'm trying to find hmm. it. Chapter eight. Um, you have him quoted oh, he said, saying, yeah, yeah, he said, I most definitely consider myself religious, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. You have to be. I know the Bible better than a lot of priests do. If mm-hmm. God is not with me when I go in to do these things, he's talking about, when he says to go in to do these things, he's talking about it. he gets hired, or I guess you could say hired, to uh, go into these houses, people's homes when they think they're 
homes are, um, you know, filled with evil spirits. I can't think of the word for it. Haunted. And yeah, haunted, and uh, get rid of the evil spirits. He goes in there and does that. He said, "It's God is not with me when I go in to do these things. I can't do them. I'm not the one who's doing it. It's God and the power that is mm-hmm. vested through me by Him." Mm-hmm. And then uh, now he does. He see. He also believes in some reincarnation. He throws a little bit of that in there too. Awesome. But then at the end, he says, "If you believe in God, then you have to believe in the devil." So he believes in both heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one simple and fairly common example of the reality of past lives and reincarnation, according to Hatchutuckney, is the concept of deja vu. The feeling or sensation mm-hmm. that a current place or situation has been experienced before. Mm-hmm. Then he says, if you've gone somewhere and you thought, I've been here in this place, I've been here before... I've never been here before, but I know this place. That's because in another life you were probably at that place. Then he says, have you ever met a little kid and you said, man, that was like talking to my grandfather? You know, an old soul, you've heard that expression. People Mm -hmm. who are way more advanced than they should be at their age. There's a reason for that. He said, and then he, he ends it with, I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe that you flew all the way to Africa and you can sit there somewhere and tell me that you've been there before. That's not a coincidence. I believe the soul and the memory of the soul goes on to live and carries those memories into the next journey, whatever that is. So he believes in God and he considers himself religious and he believes in reincarnation too. And he talks to the, the people... That have died, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, excuse me. I, I, You know, it's individuals who have had his experiences that um, are, they give they give many people the, you know, the faith. Oh, yes, look at this as a proof that someone lives after death. You know, it reminds me of a story about Houdini when Houdini was going to die. He established with his wife a contract as to how he was going to communicate when he died. And um, oh, I she about that. Yeah, and she went through a great deal of effort to try to follow up on that and make it happen. My recollection of the story is that it was to no avail. It did not produce the outcome that either of them would have liked to produce. Mm. But that story mm-hmm. of Houdini impacted my life because when my mother passed on, and we had a series of, of, of amazing experiences associated that when my mother passed on, I noticed my language passed on, my belief. <laughs> <laughs> I was driving away from her home, and I was almost to my own house, which is about 120 miles away, and I was turning onto this little narrow road, and I said, okay, well, Mom, you know, you've, you've been there for a couple of days, so what message would you like to give me? And I, and, I, and I did that in part because I do believe people live on um, and mm-hmm. it also part of because the Houdini thing that they had set up within the the it, faster than a second passed and a car pulled in front of me uh, rather, you know safely but quickly onto this narrow mm-hmm. road 
And the car on the back license plate said, God loves you. And that was a license plate. And I was like, Lord, God loves you. And it was like, whoa, question delivered, question answered in the most amazing way because all the cars in the United States with a license plate, that one, a silver Lexus pulls in front of me as I'm turning onto a very narrow road at the end of my journey. I just think that one of those, synchronicities of Susan Mann would say that gives me a pretty strong feeling there's definitely a life after death. But see, there that's what I want to believe, therefore I'm going to interpret it along those lines as well could be another right. approach. Right. What do you think? What what do you believe in uh do you believe in afterlife? I absolutely do believe in the afterlife. And do I know what the mm-hmm. parameters of that is? No, no more than I know what it's like to live in Africa at this very moment in Uganda. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know what it's going to be <laughs> yeah. like. Yeah. I have, I, and I, I do a lot of reading, and I can go on the internet and look and see what life is like in Uganda, and and kind of assume what it would be like for me to go there and live. And I do a lot of reading on life after death, near near death experiences. And, people who have died and come back. And I've worked with individuals who have had that experience as well. So I was wondering mm-hmm. if any of the people that you interviewed had had a life after death experience after dying or a trauma or an operation and came back to declare what was, what the experience was like. Yeah, I never found anybody that actually had that happen. That would have been That would have been pretty amazing. Yeah. But I know there are plenty of stories about that. Mhm. Yes. But I've also I've, do you do you, do you think that they literally are died and came back and you know died and traveled somewhere and came back or do you think that there's some kind of uh crazy misfiring going on in the brain? Mhm. And and it's just, you know, some, some kind of internal hallucinations or something. What right, think? and I think that, yeah, I think that if I were to take your beautiful, non, non-judgmental attitude about everybody's point of view and experience, I'd say, gee, you know, I don't know, probably both are possible. But I do yeah. know that when I've, read, when I've read the research and I've read the controversy or the disputes about the research, that I'm more convinced by the research that says this person's body died by definition of the brain stopped, no more brain waves, no more heart, no more respiration for a period of time beyond five minutes. That person is medically dead, and yet that person came back to life and told a story that's very similar to someone else who also was brain dead and heart dead, and that the mm-hmm. research now, even in the resuscitation, resuscitation medicine is now a whole field, and that in resuscitation medicine, they now place people who they know are likely to die in circumstances where they can um, actually observe them as they leave and also observe them as they come back and interview them. And their stories mm-hmm. are interestingly consistent. Their experiences are interestingly, they have a lot of consistent components, even though they're also very individualized. Um, mm-hmm. So 
I, I read that research and I say it's hard to argue that it's a brain firing when there's no brain waves. Um, well, uh, but the other side of it is, is there a part of the brain that's actually still wired in that we can't detect with our our gross uh, our gross medical machinery? It, you know, I can never say, well, no, I don't think so, but I don't know. Maybe there are micro elements yeah. of the brain that are still there that where the person is still occupying and still conscious. But then mm-hmm. I say, but wait a minute, so that person's been able to go and rise to the ceiling and look down and go into another room and see what a loved one's doing and go and connect with someone else and then come back to their body. So the astral projection yeah. capacity of our soul is worthy of consideration. And since uh, I, I got my tonsils out when I was five years old, I had that experience. I watched the operation from the ceiling. You did? Yes. Wow. And I and I didn't realize that that was an unusual experience until, until I began to read about people who had out-of-body experiences. And I went, oh, well, I had one of those when I was five. It was no big deal. It was kind of like, oh, yeah, ho hum. <laughs> It was no big deal oh, wow. to watch myself being operated on. It was just, I just stepped, you know, I stepped, I was out, and I was watching, and there they were, and there I was, and it was a done deal. So wow. uh, those sorts of experiences dovetail, my experience dovetail with these other people's descriptions. Uh, it, you know, obviously experience is a very big persuader of reality. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. something else that's interesting is that apparently they can, um, there's a, a certain weight. When someone dies, they can measure a certain weight of energy or an amount of energy leaving the body. And that's supposed to be the soul. Right. I'm sure you've heard that. What do you think that. about that? Yeah, what do you think about that? That's pretty compelling evidence that something's going on, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. So in in your book, did you have other people that had compelling evidence, like Koi, that said, no, I know there's life after death. Here's my evidence, so to speak. I just gave you my series of evidences, um, and I have more to go Anybody else provide that? Well, you know, you mean that would maybe convince me of one way or another on something? Well, they yeah, I mean, they ha- they had their evidence. They had their experiences that evidenced their point of view. That it, it seemed to compound them into believing, oh, this is my point of view because I have experienced this. Oh, okay. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of it was just life experience, you know, and some of it was uh, as a result of getting older. And education, you know, like one woman, uh, Lori Brian Larson, Chapter Three. After she she said after she took a, an Eastern religions course in college, it just opened her up to a lot of new ideas. It's just a lot of different reasons. And so what were the ideas uh, that she 
studied? Um, she didn't go into a lot of detail. She was just sort of saying that she now believes more in the sort of an Eastern religion philosophy. Um, I'm trying to thumb through it real quick. Mm -hmm. She said, I feel that we're made up of energy and that is what continues after we die. Mm -hmm. Since we're, she's, she's a, she said, since we're energy, we just reformat back into the universal cauldron of energy until the next Mm -hmm. go round. If there Mm -hmm. is one. So, Mm -hmm. God to me is a life force, the beginning and the end. I believe in a universal life force, and I don't really care what one calls it. Hmm. So. Hmm. What about those individuals that confess that they are terrified of death? Or, or, Or terrified of after they die? Say that again? What about the people you interviewed that said, you know, I, oh. I'm a, I'm so afraid to die, and I'm afraid to talk about it, and I'm I'm afraid of what's going to happen while I die or after I die. What was your experience of interviewing them, and 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 who do you think really kind of personified that point of view? Hmm, that's a good one. Just off the top of my head, uh, there wasn't too much of that really. Wow. Uh, one person that was interesting was uh, from Amsterdam, a lady from Amsterdam. She doesn't believe in God, and she doesn't believe in an afterlife or anything. She said, I don't believe in life after death. I think that life is now and that I'm living it. Hmm. But she has no you know, no fear of death, or she's not concerned that this is it. Hmm. She's just one of those people that... Uh, believes that you live and make the most of your life and then that's it. Mm. She said, I think that life is now and that I'm living it. After I die, I will just either rot away in the ground or my preference burn in a furnace at a funeral home. Mm. I don't believe in life after death or a higher being or a god. I do believe, however, that here on Earth there is more energy than we notice. And I don't mean of ghosts or spirits, but of what we ourselves radiate. Hmm. We have become very mind and thought-centered and sometimes forget about feeling and heart. I think we can be more susceptible to senses that we radiate and feel more of what is happening with people. I think it has to do with Hmm. love. Opening your heart to feel starts with love. Oh, over here she says, if I have to call something God, I think it is that inner voice. For me, it is very important to live according to that voice. Mm. Doing things for people because I want to, not because I have something to gain. Mm. Do good unto others and all that. She said she lives with Christian principles, but she doesn't really believe in any kind of religion. Which I think that's a good way to live. Hmm. That kind of matches your sense of things. Kind of matches what? It matches your sense of things. It matches what you... Yeah. The way you want to conduct your life. 
by certain I principles. Think so. Yeah. Even though you don't know where you're going afterward. Right. What what, yeah. what do you hope what do you hope death is all about? Death? Yes. Is that what you said, death? Yes. What do you hope death is all about? Oh, death. Um I don't know. To me death just seems death is just such a sad thing. It's because I guess because I don't have a notion of, you know, I'm going to go to uh, live with God and see my mother again and my grandparents and, you know, there's going to be a big happy reunion in the sky somewhere. <laughs> you know, that's a comforting thought for a lot of people, but yeah, it just sound, it sounds too far-fetched to me. I just, I don't know, I'm not buying that one. I would mm-hmm. like to believe like that. You know, and I've tried going to church and doing all that, and, but it just doesn't, like uh, Susie Ortiz, Ortiz said, it just doesn't resonate with me. She said it doesn't mm-hmm. resonate with her, and I, I think that's a good way to put it. Mm. So it seems just really unrealistic to contemplate that there's this rich experience of reuniting with loved ones in another domain and another after physical body just seems just so far-fetched yeah everything's going to be fine Mm -hmm. (laughs) don't don't Mm -hmm. worry about it Mm -hmm. it's going to be going to be great streets Mm -hmm. of what is it a mansion and streets of gold yeah there you go yeah Yeah, maybe who knows and then you have Sarah Zanini who said, I think we're going to the heaven in a perfect place where we will meet again the people we love during our life and we will meet God's love. What was it like interviewing Sarah Zanini? Now, I didn't actually get to speak with her either. That was another uh, email interview. Yeah? Yeah. So you didn't really capture no. a, a one-to-one sense of of her? How no. about Swami? Yogeshwarananda Bharti. <laughs> oh no, no. Doing horrible job on this. I would have loved to sat down with him. That would have been very interesting. What was it like to read no, what he wrote? It was. It was hard to. It was hard to figure out. Yeah. Sometimes some of it was hard to figure out because. Uh, just because of a language issue, but uh, hmm. I liked a lot of what he said. I'm trying to find his his chapter. That's a chapter 16. Oh, 16, yeah. Yeah. You have a quote here yeah, while I, you're looking I, for that. Go ahead. Actually, uh, in a few years, I plan to travel around the world and I want to spend some time in uh, in a temple. Yes. Just live for the t- uh, in a temple for a while and and learn, you know, whatever they have to teach me. That I'm would really be wonderful. In, in all oh, that yeah. Buddhism and Hinduism and all. You have the Swami saying, "Life after death is not myth or mysticism, but a real fact." Well, right. we have reached the end. We have reached the end of our program, John Clark. But we have not reached the end of this topic, have we? This is a contemplation that 
clearly with you does not end with a definitive finding. It just continues as a contemplation. Yes? Right. That's the idea, just to... uh just to uh, see what other people think and continue to search. Hmm. It makes you a fabulous reporter, no doubt, because you question, listen, don't judge, just absorb. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Susan, our man, uh, is our connection. She does a lot of work with the Camino in Spain, and I guess that's where you met her. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. She says about you in the introduction of your book, it was an honor and a very special pleasure when John Clark asked me to share my thoughts on the subject of death. And I think that she has said it was an honor and a very special pleasure to have met you and had the opportunity to explore these thoughts with so many people. So thank you Mm -hmm. for letting our listeners think about their thoughts and come to terms with their perspective. Thank you for having me. Thank you for your conversation. Thank you. So, John Clark, as you go on throughout the day, what would you like to leave our listeners with? Um, Oh, boy. I wish I had a grand statement of philosophy to leave leave everyone (laughs) with. (laughs) I don't have... I just would say thank you and... uh, Best wishes to everyone. Beautiful. Thank you, John. Author of Destination Known and a whole series of other books. John, how can they get a hold of your other books as well and get to know you better? It, to get on my um, my mailing list is johnclarkbooks.com. And... I also keep a blog and a, sort of a web page on John Henry Third. It's John Henry I I I like John Henry the Third. Oh, got weekly. it. Yes. Uh-huh. Weekly. Okay, so John Henry the Third Weekly dot com, and uh-huh. and then your book your 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 the place where they can get a hold of your books is where. Again? Uh, there's links on there's links on that on John Henry okay. Third Weebly dot com okay. and, and the mailing list dot com okay and they can on on the uh, John Henry Third Weebly dot com you can follow my uh, travels along Route sixty six which I'm currently in Missouri yeah what do you think about it. It started off kind of slow, but it's, it's starting to get a little interesting, I think. I think no, it's going to be okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to know. Yeah. Well, journey away, John Clark. Journey into your life and into your death. Weird Thank way you, to ma'am. say it, isn't it? Yeah. Take care of yourself. <laughs> Thank you. Take care, too. Thank you. Bye. Take care, listeners. You, you, you all take care. Consider those contemplations that are so important to your life. And uh, make the best of it, even if you don't know what this is all about. Cheers.